they hear a story that initially engages them about how there's a greater good at play here, but actually then they realize it's all about a quarterly, you know, result. Um, so there is some disengagement there. And I think that's the biggest challenge right now is how we align the words and the story and the intentions to the actions. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Agnell, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. There's this acronym you might have heard of these days called VUCA, V-U-C-A, and it stands for Volatile, Uncertain, Complex, and Ambiguous. Uh, it's, it's actually first coined in 1987 with the US, by the U.S. Army War College to describe the post-Cold War reality, but it's popping up a lot, and I think that speaks to just how uncertain our future is, how fast the pace of change is, and how norms of business are being transformed by the day. And a lot of companies, a lot of leaders are wondering, what does that future look like? And since no one has a crystal ball, they turn to people who spend their time thinking about this fundamental question, how is our world being reshaped and what does it mean? And one of those people is Antonis Christidis. He's a partner at Mercer. I'd call him a futurist. I think technically he's a he works in their careers business, and he's uh, he's been with the organization for a decade. And his focus is on helping companies understand these massive changes that are going on and how it will impact relationships between employers and, and employees. Um, he's also a brutal realist, and he comes on to talk to me about new rules for leaders, why they can't get away with some of the behavior that they did in the past, why the best ones will embrace new modes of thinking and communicating, uh, and what they have to do to thrive. So uh, enjoy my discussion today with Antonis. So I'd like to welcome Antonis Christovis, uh, a partner at Mercer to the Inspire podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Bart. Yeah, and you head up the future of work practice. Is that right at Mercer? Yeah, we call it work for the future, but basically it's what everybody talks about, you know, future work. Okay, so what is the future of work? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think... <laughs> How long do we have, right? <laughs> yeah, I think, let me say this. I think, in my view, in a way, we're in a, in a premature period. So there's a lot of hype around and a lot of people talk about this, but less understanding exactly what this is all about. To me, at least, the future of work is just an umbrella phrase to, to say other things. The really interesting thing and, and, and really what drives the future is disruption and new ways of doing business. And as businesses are evolving, of course, work has to evolve with it. So we tend to work to focus, in my view, too much on the work side of things, like as if work is evolving by itself, uh, while in reality, that's a result of something else, which is our changing lifestyle and, and business. Hmm. And, with, so, and with that evolution, that changing lifestyle, that changing nature of work, leadership is evolving too, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, leaders are people like... Us, you know, you, you are many things at the same time. So exactly, and again, we can go in more detail as, as the discussion flows, but 
I think what constitutes a leader, let's say back in the 80s or in the 70s or even in the 90s, it's very different to what constitutes a leader today because expectations in society are very different today to back then. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to have you on to talk about. I know when we had an initial conversation, you talked about how leaders need to evolve, what people expect of them, what they should expect of themselves. You had some really powerful insights that I thought were worth sharing. But how long have you been leading the future of work practice? At so we have come together as a team and we are going out because in a way Mercer is, is discussing future problems, you know, way before that. And it's about two years now. So we're heading towards the second year of being a little bit more organized and proactive on how we look at these problems. And when you're when you're talking to someone who says, what do you do? I mean, what in 30 seconds, what do you actually do in this practice? In seconds, I would say we are helping our clients and organizations better prepare their workforce for the future. So as I said, the future, you know, a lot of this is an organic change. So, you know, things are happening as we go. But certainly we know that the change this time is slightly different to other times. So, you know, there will be some impact of the technology. So how do you help people upskill, reskill, pick up new, um, new ideas in the way and be more relevant? Plus, how do you do this in a way that supports the overall business model of the company? Because again, the key driver is how companies and business change the way they deliver their services. Hmm. And, and that work, that helping them prepare, helping them prepare their workforces, was that where you started to develop awareness and clarity about the evolving imperatives for leaders? Absolutely, because no change of any nature is possible in an organization unless leadership embraces it and unless leadership is behind it beyond just the words, you know, we have to change and we have to do this, but really embracing. So it usually starts with a changing mindset. We move in an era that more and more admitting, let me say, ignorance is key compared to the past. In the past, leaders were a lot about, you know, big executive who knows and has the answers and drives forward, you know, and we all follow. As we move forward, things are changing so fast and and, and the situation is so fluid and it will be more and more fluid. But actually admitting that we are a bit ignorant and we have to be open to new ideas and see how it goes is a key attribute. Um, so this is what we see a lot these days. There's, I think, this transition period that we still have many leadership teams of a previous era, in my view at least, leading organizations of today. Uh, and they are a little bit challenged sometimes in this transition. So what do you see when you look at these leadership teams who have not evolved yet? I mean, we'll get to how they should evolve. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you go out and you work for companies or work with companies and you say, these teams are holding their companies back or holding... What are the big things you observe that they're not doing or that they're doing that have negative ramifications? You know, you see a lot of interest, a lot of, let's say, words being spoken about agility and fast and experiment and not be afraid to fail and all these things. But at the end of the day, because the way we measure these leadership teams is still very much the way we did that for the last many, many years, especially if you talk about public organizations, you know, the words say a story, but the actions say a very different story. And that actually has a risk because then the workforce, which is now composed with, you know, we talk about these five generations, younger, but also they hear a story that initially engages them about how there's a greater good at play here. But actually then they realize it's all about a quarterly, you know, result. So there's some disengagement there. And I think that's the biggest challenge right now is how, we align the words and the story and the intentions to the actions. And that's where you come in and your, and your practice. 
today exactly because so there's always a, a stick and a carrot type of, of situation you know how much changing of mindset and changing of culture is a long-term play you know it doesn't change because somebody will come in and will say some words and other people will say oh we now get it so so usually because the, the pace of the business doesn't necessarily wait for you to adjust and you know we're a bit not so patient i would say mm-hmm. patience is a virtue in in uh, what happens there is I would say that, you know, sometimes we put the carrot ahead. So, you know, we may start by rethinking targets, let's say. So there's something around performance management, how we measure performance. And of course, how this all links back to traditional financial uh, metrics. Uh, sometimes, you know, you have companies, especially if they're not listed or they're a little bit more affluent in the way they see that they actually realize that the longer term play and they take different ways to get there. Mm. Yeah. Well, and... I know I see this in, in my work and our work, you know, where leaders are almost kind of caught between the past and the future. You know, you'll say they're told that we want to be, we want to have a company that's innovative. They're told that they should lead that embrace. Like you said, agile, you'll even hear the Silicon Valley buzzwords like, you know, minimum vile product, but then they have to run things through levels of bureaucracy. Their bonus is based on the quarter and they really find themselves caught between. And so I think, you know, there, there is that cognitive dissonance that exists today in business. I fully agree. And I would say, and you said something, you said we, we are told that we have to be innovative. You know, innovation is not something you tell or you order and it happens. And that's, in my mind, is a little bit of the older mindset, like the executive who will make a call. And, you know, and again, we have all this leadership articles, business papers, professors that, that talk about, and, you know, we see a lot of good leaders out there, but if we look at, you know, the mass of the economy still, when things are getting tough, people will start becoming a little bit more black and white. So, right. yeah. so innovation is something that happens because of a number of dimensions coming into play. You need to have the right people. You need to give them the right environment to operate. You need to give them freedom. And at the end, at, at, the, at the basis, you need to trust them. Yeah. Well, and it's really what you're talking about is, is kind of a new model for leadership. And I wonder if we could, we could talk about that. You know, you, you shared with me uh, in our last conversation, the number of things that you think leaders must evolve to become if they're going to you know, transform their companies and perform in this, you know, increasingly volatile world. And the first one that you mentioned to me, I'd love for you to elaborate, is that leaders have to be connected. Tell me a bit about what you mean by that. And again, first of all, these are just ideas. I'm not claiming that this is the absolute truth. <laughs> things I see as I go and, you know, we try to make sense and, and, and put them in a, in a schema that we can communicate. So since our last discussion, I, I've been thinking a little bit about that. And, you know, as we work with other companies, actually now I talk a little bit about leaders have to be present. Mm just connected because connected you know you can be somewhere else and be connected and of course that's important but i think again if we go back to the archetype of leadership from other eras you know it's usually they sit at the top floor of the building and usually it's up there you know so i think the first thing for me is leaders have to be present they can no longer be you know they have to be seen by the employees or their workers or the co-workers or the colleagues i don't even they have to feel part of that. And again, there's many people out there that do that. And, and, and let me say one thing about why, if you look at executive pay today, you know, there's a massive disconnect between what typically a CEO and the C-suite makes and most of the other employees, which means that these two groups of people, not always, but very often in public organizations, they more or less live in a different world, mm. a different world. You, when you make 10, $20 million versus even if you make half a million dollars or $50,000, the, 
we may not realize it, but that's a very important, you know, living in the same world, understanding beyond just saying the words for me and being present uh, is very important. Now, I'm not saying we need to reduce pay or I mean, these are different decisions. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that the only way to bridge the gap is if you're present. What And tell me what that means what is it, or what does it look like if, if someone is listening and let's say they're vice president in a big bank or in telecom company and say, okay, well, what does it mean to be present? So what would you tell spend them? Spend less time planning and let's say strategizing in quotation marks and spend more time on the ground understanding the day-to-day lives of your employees. Again, it depends on the organization you're in, of course, what type of business you're in. So it's important to understand mm-hmm. the impact of your ideas and decisions, how they are reflected on the ground. There's a gap between what you think is happening and what is really happening. Well, and another thing that we talked about when we last spoke is courage for leaders. What kind of courage do leaders need today? Yeah, This is connected to the first point. And if you think, you know, the more you expose yourself and the more you make yourself vulnerable by being present and also by what we said before, by admitting that you may not have all the answers, the more obviously you have to be courageous that you know it's hmm. not it's easy to say you know i'm the leader i'm the big executive you know this is how we're going to do it and you know let's get it done and and it's very different to actually understand your role as serving your colleagues being present but understanding that we know certain things and, and we actually don't know more than we know and that's hmm. sometimes counterintuitive because a leader is supposed to have figured it out and show the way to others so mm. that's the context of courage. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's what I'm hearing is you have to be there. That's the being present. Mm-hmm. But when you're there, you can't just show up and give orders or be this perfect person. You have to have the courage to be vulnerable and to be human. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, do you, are you, you watch basketball? Of course, yes. So, you know, the Cavs this year, yeah. uh, there was a, a moment this year where Teron Liu, you know, their coach, who's a young guy, he took a leave of absence. Did you did you see that story? I didn't see the story. Ah, yes. Yeah. He was, yeah, he had the, yeah. And, you know, he, what was amazing about it were two things. One, that he took this leave during the season. You know, his coaches almost never do this. But the other thing that was amazing was that he talked about openly the stress and anxiety he was dealing with. Yeah. And he showed real vulnerability mm-hmm. and came out and said, look, you know, I need this time away. And the team was like, we're totally behind you. And I, I just think that was a great example of kind of, an, and he's a young, younger guy. I think he's like late thirties and he was just open about that. And what it did was it allowed everyone to see him for the human he is and the courageous person he is. And they got behind him. So to me, that's, that's kind of a, a story that shows a bit of that kind of new leadership that you never would have seen in the NBA 20 years ago. Yep. Fully agree. I'm sure you have conversations with people when you're working where they say, look, you know, I'm hearing you. I want to be human. I want to be vulnerable. But my boss tells me, don't disclose weakness. Don't show the, you know, don't tell the troops, if you will, that you're stressed or that there's risk around this. Just keep it to yourself. What advice would you give to that person? This is exactly understanding that the norms and standards are changing. So in the past, in my view, at least, showing, showing vulnerability could be or, and was often perceived as weakness. But today, and you already said the story, is actually perceived as strength. You, you probably have to feel confident and from a position of strength to expose yourself and speak openly about certain struggles or, or challenges you may be facing. 
And because we, as I say, as we discussed before, you know, the same people who are employees in a company are the same people that we live outside and they are consuming and, you know, consumers. That, I think, standard has changed and people today appreciate that. Hmm. The only um, advice, if, if I was qualified to give advice for these things, was I would challenge the leader who is telling somebody not to do that because it's perceived leadership. I still see today certain people in, let's say, middle management jobs, because leadership is not only about, you know, the big CEO. It's leadership it's at all levels. Every, every person is a leader on their day, daily life. I see still many people around who are trying in a way to protect the corporate image. You know, mm-hmm. you have workers and employees who are feeling frustration for something and middle managers who, instead of being transparent and open and speak about this stuff and explain the challenges they also face, they try. Again, I think that that is an outdated version of, of how the world works. I think the world is much more transparent. Information is everywhere. More or less, we all know what there is to know. So it's more about making the human connection to talk to each other and figure it out rather than trying to project something that we're not. Hmm. And how about yourself? I mean, you're, you're out there. How do you embody these principles of being present and courageous yourself? Yeah, I think the first thing I'm trying to do is I try not to take myself too seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting how we have created these norms in our mind of how you should behave in a professional setup. And some very often these are different to how you behave outside. Now, what I have observed throughout my career is when you're genuine and and you start treating people that, you know, people react to this. It's quite interesting. Um, so let me say this, typically most consultants, not all consultants, will always be you know, very positive to comments from clients. You know, I typically challenge everybody if I disagree, <laughs> but I don't care if you're paying bills or not. I'm going to say this, I don't think that's... Uh, so, and then of course, being open to listen to the other side. But I would say starting by understanding that mm, we are less important probably, than, and that's why understanding the ignorance, what we don't know, be courageous, be all that. I think that's a good starting point. Hmm. I like that that you're, uh, you know, you kind of put aside the slick persona and just have that authentic conversation. Is it jarring for people sometimes at first? I would say yes. Yeah. Sometimes, oh, what what is guy doing? (laughs) (laughs) But then they then almost they realize they can have a real chat with you. (laughs) As a person, I always look at the end result. We can say all the theories we like here, but it's the end result. I know that in my career, I always had certain companies that we work and they keep coming back for because I think again people appreciate in other people, especially in our industry in consulting, a genuine response, you know, mm-hmm. not saying, yes, we're going to, but, um, so I think, and again, it's many people in our industry who do that, and you see that that has a positive response. One other theme I want to explore with you is how leaders create urgency. I mean, you know, when you look at, the, I certainly see it with all of our clients, the pace of change mm-hmm is faster than ever. I mean, I look at companies that are just disappearing or being created out of nothing. Companies which were monolithic entities having to redo their business models, careers being created. I mean, things are changing so quickly. And so how do leaders create urgency without creating anxiety to bring about change? Let me me say so. And and in my view, the leaders should create urgency, but also if you have the right people in the company, you know, everybody will get that there's something going on. If you need your leader to tell you there's urgency, hmm. something, I think you're in, in the wrong game. Well, I love your point that you that you referenced that driving change is, again, the whole mindset can't be, you know, someone from the C-suite, someone from up high, 
it really has to come from the culture and you have to be present and create an environment and a culture and an attitude where that's possible. In a way, for me, if, if we're going back and we're going to write a job description, mm-hmm. the way I'm against job descriptions as an idea, it's a different story we can have another time. But <laughs> if we're going to write a job description for a leader of any, I would say that is a job description. It's, not a, it's, it's really about creating the right environment mm-hmm. for the people you have in the business to thrive and do what they're about to do. So if you can do that, and then assuming that you have the right people in the business, either fully or you access the right people through other means, theoretically, your business would move forward. Hmm. And, and I know we've been talking around this, but you know, just to be really direct about it, from a communication standpoint, what would you say the most important tools or uh, qualities that a leader would have to create that environment would be? I see we have already touched on them. For me, one is transparency. Mm-hmm. The moment you say trans, but real transparency, not uh, mm-hmm. that like full transparency. And, and the second one, which is very connected to this, is courage, being courageous. Because if you're going to be transparent, you know, you need to acknowledge that not everything is always perfect. You know, if we look at pay, not everything will be fully equitable. But communicating in a transparent way, acknowledging the problems and communicating, you know, your interest mm-hmm. to solve the problems, I think, again, is something people will appreciate more than trying to hide certain things right and people will not find out yeah and I, this, this is a question that may be more of a human behavior question in the future of work question but you know it's one that you're you being on the front lines of working with leaders as they change the world and how they work i, I think are qualified to at least provide an opinion on how much can people change i mean if you have if you have people who have spent you know yeah. 30 years 40 years 20 years 10 years in either in organizations that are, you know, traditional in their leadership or just personally, that's their style. What is your view of, of the feasibility of change? There's two levels to this answer. I would say the first, the first level is a scientific level, you know, is our brain capable of learning and changing? And scientifically today, we know that the answer is yes. Our brain until the day we die can evolve and learn. So again, the, the ideas we had in the eight is that you learn until you're 30 year old and then that's it science has gone beyond that. So now we know that our brain continuously will have these plateaus of knowledge every 10 years, more or less. So scientifically, the answer to the question is yes, people can change and they can learn and they can adapt and and all that. I think there's the other part of the answer, which is the more cultural aspect. And by culture, I don't mean necessarily corporate culture. I mean human society culture. Mm -hmm. So when you as an individual have projected a certain image of strength and power in the traditional sense, for many years, how easy it is for you to project something different at a later stage to your source. Mm-hmm. I think this is where the challenge is, and that's why you see some barriers. Um, having said that, you know, many people, of course, keep evolving and, and see. Mm-hmm. And that's where that courage comes in, that need to say, exactly. you, you have to almost let go of that, you know, construct of power with the corner office or, or you know, with the title or whatever, and embrace that vulnerability. Because now we talk about leadership in the, you know, in the corporate environment. Mm-hmm. Man, and if you go back a thousand years, or yeah. leadership of courage is embedded to, you know, being able to go beyond, you know, what people expect of you in a way, and go beyond what mm-hmm. you also expect of yourself. I think is a key attribute to becoming a leader and leading life. In a, and that means both, as again, being vulnerable because we're all more naturally. You know, comfortably in uncomfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but all this discussion. So courage for me, we keep yeah. coming back to this word, but it's a key word in, in this whole discussion. Courage is that willingness to take that risk, to go beyond, as you said, what we believe we're capable of. And that's where we have, we do great things. Exactly. And in that process, the other word is the word trust. So mm. it takes courage to trust others. So if you believe that you have recruited or assembled the right team, then it's very important you show the trust. Because again, we talk a lot about the right people, the right environments, but then when you look at how much corporate processes are thrown on people to make sure everything is you know, in order, mm-hmm. you say, okay, what's going on here? I mean, if I trust you, would I ask you to spend half of your time just you know, fighting bureaucracy? Right. Sometimes uh, you know, these things happen just because size and shape of organizations help. Happen so in smaller organizations because naturally, as human beings, we can associate ourselves up to 150 individuals. You know, the trust levels are higher, so generally, you see a much more a nice environment. But then, as the company grows bigger and bigger through its success, even companies that had this trust and courage and all this, and it's most companies that start and do well, uh, values at the core, they tend to start losing it and being absorbed by this corporate let's call it machine or whatever. Just because, you know, our human brain cannot cope, cannot, you know, we stop knowing each other person. So there's all these complexities that come into place. It's not really just a person and a leader who has a job. It's a much more complex situation. And I think that that's a great way to, to come back to this idea of why you have to be present. You have to break through that and courageously connect. Excellent. I hadn't thought about it this way, but that's an excellent point. Yeah. The more you're present, the more you know people, the more you understand the challenges, the more you understand how relationships are evolving, the more you can be relevant in the decisions you make or help others make. Yeah. Well, I really, I really appreciate this. I'm going to ask you one final question, a more general question, which is, you know, here we are in the world, which with uncertainties abound, uh, facing incredible disruption to how and even why we work, where we work. Are you overall optimistic pessimistic or neutral about what the future of work holds? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tricky question because you can never give one answer to this question. So <laughs> I would say I'm more on the optimistic side. It's by nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's, let's keep it short and say I'm optimistic, but also there's a lot of risks and we need to be a little bit careful and open-minded in how we approach the future. Well, look, Antonis, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about leadership and courage and being present in this uh, ever-changing world. I appreciate your thoughts and I'm, I'm taking a lot away myself. Thank you, Bart. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Pleasure. So if people want to get in touch with you or learn more about the future of work or have you come speak, uh, how can they contact you? I mean, my email is antonis.christidis.mercy.com but probably LinkedIn is the best way to get in touch and I'm happy to, to talk about but be be uh, ready for radical candor. <laughs> Good. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Antonis Christidis and the look into the future. If you did enjoy it, if you're enjoying the podcast, take a moment, give me five stars, put a comment in, helps others find the podcast, helps us get noticed, and I really appreciate it. Next week, I've got a really neat guest, Michael Hyatt. Uh, Michael, you might have seen on the Next Gen Dragon Dens uh, CBC production. You might have heard him on Gimlet's The Pitch. 
but if you haven't, he's a successful self-made entrepreneur. Uh, he has built two highly successful tech companies valued at hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, and today he sits and listens to probably 300 pitches a year. And so I have him on to talk about what it takes to prepare and execute a successful pitch. Uh, Michael talks about everything from how to put yourself in the mind of your potential investors to what kind of numbers you've got to have a grasp of to how to build trust. It's a great conversation. I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, And there's even a nugget of what makes a great kid's birthday party. So come back next week for that conversation.